title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is the book of First Timothy. This is part two that we are busy with. So for those of you that have joined recently, uh, we'd like to let you know that we are preaching through First Timothy because it forms part of our theme for the year, which is the year of Timothy, raising up the next generation. We believe God has spoken to us that this next generation is key in what he wants to do. And we have to, as a local church, provide the kind of environment in which the next generation can thrive and flourish. But there's a part for everyone to play, not just the next generation. The older generation need to be fathers and mothers of the younger generation, the younger sons and daughters. So let's be open to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I hope you have your Bible open. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 to 20. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Paul speaking, He says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. In other words, he's strengthened me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Don't you like that phrase? It is God who puts someone into the ministry. Verse 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, And an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. And here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me, Paul, first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Verse 17. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Don't you like that? Son Timothy. He was a spiritual son. Paul was a spiritual father. This charge I commit to you, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Please keep your Bible open as we look through this passage today. I'd like to share three points with you, spending more time on point one. 
Here we go. This is point one. God's grace can radically transform the worst sinner. This is what we're learning in this passage. God's grace can radically transform the worst sinner. Please say this with me. God's grace can radically transform the worst sinner. You might say, who's the person in the picture there? Uh, That is the Apostle Paul. We asked him to send a selfie to us. So we just wanted to share that with you. Now look at verse 13 to 15. Paul is speaking. Let's just look at this again. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer. That's somebody who speaks against God and speaks against God's people. It says a persecutor and an insolent man. An insolent man is basically uh, an aggressive man who is violent. But he goes on to say, but I obtained mercy because I did it in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And those three verses, 13, 14, 15, back up this point, number one, that we can be so transformed even if you're the worst sinner. Now, In the previous verses, which we covered last week, in verse 9 and 10, Paul included what I would call a very hard-hitting list of sins. He had listed all these terrible sins in this list. Why did he do that? He didn't do it to make others feel bad and himself feel good. Rather, he did it to explain the purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law was to create conviction and awareness of sin and then realize that we need the Savior. So that's why Paul listed that whole list of sins. But what's more, when Paul considered all the many people caught up in sin, because yeah, he's listed all these terrible sins. And and when Paul now thinks about people caught up in a life of sin, it only reminded him of the terrible sinner that he had been before he came to Jesus Christ. It reminded him of it and how God had mercy on him. How many of you today are glad for the mercy of God in your life? Amen. You're glad for his mercy. And so Paul was basically convinced that if God could save him, then God can save anyone. You know, sometimes, folks, I think we forget a little bit of how terrible and wretched Paul's life was before he came to Christ, before his conversion. Do you know that Paul thought, as he was persecuting the Christians, he thought he was doing God's work, as he's trying to wipe out Christianity, because he thought that Christianity was a distortion of the Jewish faith, which he so dearly loved. He thought it was a distortion, but you know what? Meanwhile, it was actually the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And the mistake that Paul made was instead of softening his heart and saying, no, wow, 
This is actually the revelation. This is what has come. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and take us into the next step. He hardened his heart and he wasn't open to the Savior. He wasn't open to the Messiah. Hmm. And so Paul, he was trying to wipe out Christianity. Let me tell you, Paul also scoffed at the teachings of Jesus. He mocked the Christians. He hated the Christians. Paul was a religious extremist in the fullest sense of the word. He was cruel and he was even violent before. Yes, he was Saul of Tarsus back then, but he was cruel and even violent. Do you know that he hunted down Christians and sought to put them to death? Here's one which is very interesting and quite scary. When Stephen was stoned by the mob, it's very interesting to note that Paul was watching on the sideline. Stephen is getting stoned. And according to, uh, it is Acts 7 verse 58, Paul actually held the garments of those who were doing the stoning. Wow. Paul had been a wretched man. And on the road to Damascus, when Paul encountered Jesus, you know what he was going to do? He was going to execute more Christians, or at the very least, drag them off to prison in the hope that they would be put to death. And so this is the wretched man that Paul was. But listen, God forgave Paul. He forgave him, praise God. Because he's a God of grace and a God of forgiveness, God forgave Paul and God used Paul mightily for his kingdom. I want to say to you, child of God, it doesn't matter how terrible your past may have been. God can forgive you. Do you know this? Do you understand it? I think sometimes people are so guilt-ridden by their past that they cannot imagine that God could possibly forgive them. But he can. <laughs> if he did it for Paul, he can do it for you. Tell the person next to you, if he did it for Paul, he can do it for you. May I ask you, those of you listening to me right now, those of you under the sound of my voice, have you accepted his offer of salvation? Because you have to accept it. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he, became the, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul was hard in his heart. He was not willing to receive the Messiah, Jesus. Don't be hard in your heart. Be willing to accept the Messiah, Jesus. And so verse 15, look at it again. It says, this is a faithful, sane, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the statement. So why did Jesus come? To save sinners. Why did he come? Can I hear you? To save sinners. And this is actually a short summary of the gospel. <laughs> If sometimes you battle to remember, what's the gospel all about? Well, Jesus came and he came to save sinners. And it says in Romans 3 verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't think that I'm better than you or you better than that one and so on. We have all sinned. There is not one righteous. No, not one. The Bible says we all have to accept the grace of Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes through him and the free gift of eternal life. 
You know what the incredible thing is? That every single day, sinners all over the world are being radically transformed by the saving grace of God. It is happening. It is happening in Mongolia. It's happening in South Africa. It's happening in the nations of the world. We are living in the time of the end time harvest. Open your eyes and see that God is at work in the nations of the world today. Every day, sinners are being radically transformed by God's grace. Some of these sinners have done despicable things. Others have merely relied on their own righteousness. But our righteous rags, they like filthy rags, our attempts to please God. They've relied maybe on their righteousness. But either way, everyone needs a savior and Jesus is ready to save. Can I ask you a question? Is there somebody that you can think of today that desperately needs Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you, don't give up on that person. Don't stop praying for that person. God can radically transform their lives. His grace is incredible. He can transform their lives. Listen to the statement. God can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. What's interesting is Paul, he seemed to be almost overwhelmed by the grace of God. God's incredible grace. He was overwhelmed and and he used this phrase to describe God's grace. He said that God's grace is exceedingly abundant. That's probably the best words that he could come up with to describe how incredible his grace is. It's exceedingly abundant. Paul was kind of trying to say, well, God's grace is like this huge waterfall that is just falling over me again and again and again. God's grace is incredible. That's why there is the song, Amazing Grace, because God's grace is truly amazing. And so Paul said, this is like, you know, it's just like pours over me. It's exceedingly abundant. You know what? And that's exactly what God will do for you. He can and will flood you with his grace and he will flood you with his mercy. Praise God. Now, verse 16 just says this. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation because it has to do with the example of Paul's life. It says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example. Would you say the word example? Of what? Of his great patience. Okay, so Paul's using, God's using Paul as a, a prime example of God's great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And so here, the key word I would suggest to you in this little phrase here is example. God was using Paul's life as an example to show that even the most stubborn sinner can still be saved. Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And in a very real sense, we can say it like this. If God could save the chief of sinners, then he can save anybody. So Paul was kind of exhibit A of God's immense patience and long-suffering towards sinners. You know what? Paul's life is a beautiful picture 
of redemption. And you know what, folks? Today, we worship God as our great redeemer. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? He is our great redeemer. And so God's grace can radically transform the worst sinner. Point number two. When we think about what God's done, it makes us want to break out in praise. Anybody with me here? Say this with me. When we think about what God's done, it makes us want to break out in praise. So, as Paul had just been considering how good God had been to him, it caused him to burst out into this lovely and beautiful doxology. Now, we all know what a doxology is, right? <laughs> I must confess, I didn't know what a doxology was, so I was actually looking, what is a doxology? I've seen this word before. A doxology is a short hymn of praise to God. So don't feel bad if you didn't know. The pastor didn't know as well, you know. And so he breaks into this doxology, and here it is, verse 17. Here, it says, Now to the King eternal immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like Paul says, it's time to praise the Lord. It's time to praise the Lord. I've been talking about God's goodness. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise the Lord right now. And he breaks into this doxology. Now you know what it is. He gives this little moment of praise unto God. You know what? Praise is the natural response to the awareness of God's goodness. You know what that's like? You're carrying on in your normal everyday life and, and then you're just reminded of, God did this for me and, and God came through in that situation. What happens? The natural response is you just say, thank you, Lord. You praise God. You know what it's like. Praise is a natural response to the awareness of God's goodness. We want to burst out in praise. And God's awesome works make us want to praise Him. It says in Psalm 150 verse 2, Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Now there's a song that comes to mind. I wonder if some of you may know this song. It's called, When I Think About the Lord. When I think about the Lord. Does anybody know that song? Come on, raise a hand if you know that song. Both the 12 of you. All right. It goes like this. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost, it makes me wanna. Shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Come on, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. It makes me shout. Now, this is where, you know where Pastor Sibu Sisu Kosa was here the other day? He had his keyboard play, player back there. He wasn't a small man, let's just be honest. 
He's a big black man, he's playing keyboard. Yeah. And know what I love about the African people is they come and then they find the key and they press transpose. Da, 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 da. Makes me wanna shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Makes me wanna shout. Hallelujah. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the... Woo, give yourselves a hand. <laughs> and so, when we think about what God's done, it makes us want to break out in praise. And we declare together with what Paul said, honor and glory to God forever and ever and ever. Praise God. Don't stop praising people. Don't stop praising. Don't stop praising. Now, point number three, the last one. We're in a spiritual battle. Keep fighting with faith and a clean conscience. Say this with me. We're in a spiritual battle. Keep fighting with faith and a clean conscience. So, after Paul's moment of praise, his doxology, yeah, you can die that. He turned his attention now back to Timothy, and he gives Timothy input. So he has this moment of praise, and then, okay, back to business. Timothy's overseeing this church in Ephesus. I've got to give him more input, and here it is in verse 18 to 20. Please follow in your Bible. Paul said, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. So what is the charge? It is the charge to rebuke false teachers. Remember, it was very clearly given that Timothy had to put a stop to false doctrine. So this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, look at this. According to the prophecies, that's interesting, previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus. Isn't that a lovely name? <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, if you named Hymenaeus, I humbly apologize to you. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, here in verse 20, we see these two people mentioned, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Who were they? Well, we don't know about Alexander for sure. It seems like he was a coppersmith or a metal worker that caused substantial harm to Paul. We're not sure, but it could possibly be. However, that's in terms of Alexander. However, we do know about Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus, listen to this. He, in terms of his error, he was weakening the faith of other believers by telling them that the resurrection of the dead of believers had already taken place. Now that is bad. You know what? When we allow ourselves to be used by the enemy to bring about and infiltrate wrong doctrine, I want to tell you, it is very serious before God. You don't want to do that. And so he was breaking down people's faith. He said, no, the resurrection of the dead has already taken place. It's a false doctrine. And both of these men caused tremendous harm. And the result was that Paul 
put them out of the church. Sometimes I think that in the modern day churches of Jesus Christ around the world, too much, what is the word I'm looking for? Too much falseness and false doctrine is allowed to come in and we're trying to be so tolerant and we say it's okay, you can say this and so on. But you know what? This guy, Hermeneus, he probably caused, I don't know, 20, 40, 30, 50 people for their faith to be broken down. It's not okay. And I believe that actually, that's one of the reasons why the New Testament church was so effective because when there were some things that were desperately wrong, the apostles, the pastors, took action and they said, you will leave this church. Paul was very serious about protecting the church of Jesus Christ. Very serious. I want to jump just a little bit because of time and look at verse 18, the very last part of verse 18 as we are drawing to a close and verse 19. So verse 18 says, Wage the good warfare, all right? And then look at verse 20, after verse 18, it says, having faith and a good conscience. Would you please say faith? faith. Would you say a good conscience? Yes. Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. When I was preparing, I was thinking about, what does this mean to have faith? and a good conscience. The faith one is perhaps relatively easy because it means that we keep on trusting and believing in the Lord our God. In other words, we don't allow false ideas of God, false doctrines to influence us, but we keep our faith firmly in Christ. We keep our eyes on Jesus. That's fairly simple. But this thing of having a good conscience, what does that mean? Listen to this. It means that we need to look after our inner world of godliness. What does it mean to have a good conscience, a clean, a clean conscience? It means that you are watching over your inner world of godliness towards God. In other words, you are keeping your heart tender to the Lord. I'm of the opinion that some people in their lives, Christians, have come to a place where in your emotional state, you are in a very, very bad place. And I would submit to you that it could be because you have not been watching over your inner godliness towards the Lord. Let me tell you, the faith aspect is rightly believing. The conscience aspect is rightly acting. And so in terms of your conscience, from your faith, you know what you need to do. But then when you come and face temptation, what do you do? Your conscience is where you act in accordance with what you believe and know to be true, and therefore you say no to that. You say no to that option to get bitter. You say no to that offense. And all the while, you are protecting your inner world of godliness. And if you don't do that, you know what happens? You become a little crusty on the inside. And suddenly the softness is gone. And if we do not watch over 
our inner world of godliness, our conscience, and keep a good conscience, do you realize it could actually cause the shipwreck of your faith, which is what Paul is talking about. And so the encouragement is here. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep up with the good warfare. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep waging the war that we need to wage and do it by faith and a good conscience. By the way, I believe this aspect of a good conscience is a nugget that God is speaking to certain people here today. I want to encourage you. Keep your inner godliness before the Lord tender. Keep your heart tender. And so I end off with a statement. Keep fighting with faith and a clean conscience. Just to recap, three points that we looked at today. Number one, God's grace can radically transform the worst sinner. Number two, when we think about what God's done, it makes us want to break out into praise. And number three, we're in a spiritual battle. Keep fighting with faith and a good, clean conscience. Now give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Come on, praise Him if you mean it. We bless you, Lord. Let's stand together. Let's stand and we're going to pray. Ah, dear Father, thank you for your word. Your word is life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but we live, truly live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We say we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that this has been a glorious time together today. We've been able to have these wonderful missionaries with us. We've been able to hear your word. We've been able to worship you. And so, Father, we just say thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. I bless your people now. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you and give you peace. We all say, Amen. 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 God bless you. You're free.